Peter Pan by James M. Barry. Chapter 6 The Little House. Foolish Tuttles was standing like a conqueror over Wendy's body when the other boys sprang armed from the trees. You're too late, he cried proudly. I have shot the, the Wendy. Peter will be so pleased with me. Overhead, Tinkerbell shouted, Silly ass! <coughs> and darted into hiding. The others did not hear her. They crowded round Wendy. As they looked at a, ter- a terrible silence fell upon the wood. If Wendy's heart had been beating, they would all have heard it. Slightly was the first to speak. This is no bird, he said in a scared voice. I think you this must be a lady. A lady, said Toodles, and fell a trembling. We have killed her, Neb said hoarsely. They all whipped off their caps. Now I see, Curly said. Peter was bringing her to us. He threw himself softly on the ground. A lady to take care of us at last, said one of the twins. You've killed her? They were sorry for him, but sorrier for themselves. When he took a step nearer, they turned from him. Toodle's face was very white, but it was a dignity about him now that that had never been there before. I did it, he said, reflecting. When ladies used to come to me in dreams, I said, pretty mother, pretty mother. But when at last she really came, I shot her. He moved slowly away. Don't call, go, they called in pity. I must, he answered, shaking. I'm so afraid of Peter. It was, at, it was as at this tragic moment that they heard a sound that made the heart of every one of them rise in his mouth. They heard Peter crow. Peter, they cried. But it was always thus. Hide her, they whispered, and gathered hastily round Wendy. The Tuttles stood aloof. Again came the grinning crow, and Peter dropped in front of them. Waiting, boys, he cried, and manacularly they saluted. Then again was silence. He frowned. I'm back, he said hotly. Why do you not cheer? They opened their mouths. But the cheers could not come. Could not come. He overlooked it in haste to tell the gl- glorious tidings. Good, great news, boys! He cried. I brought at last a mother for you. But no sound except a little flood from Doodles. He dropped to his knees. Have you not seen her? Cried. Asked Peter, becoming troubled. She flew this way. Ah oh, me! One voice said. Another said. Oh, mournful day. Twiddles rose. Peter, he said quietly, I will show her to you. And when the others would still have hidden her, he said, Back, twins, let Peter see. So they stood back and let him see. After he had looked for a little time, he didn't know what to do next. She's dead, he said uncomfortably. Perhaps she's frightened of being dead. He thought of hopping off a comic sort of way till he was out of sight of her and then ne- never going near the spot any more. They would all have been glad to follow if he had done this. But there was the arrow. It took it from the heart and faced his band. Whose arrow? he demanded sternly. Mine, Peter, said Twitter on his knees. Oh, dusted hand, Peter said. 
raise his arrow to use it as a dagger. Tudus did not flinch. He bared his chest. Strike, Peter, he said firmly. Strike twice. Peter did. Twice did Peter rise the arrow, and twice did his hand fall. I cannot strike, he said with all. There is something... There is something stays in my hand. All looked at him in wonder. Same nibs, who fortunately looked at Wendy. It is she, he cried, the Wendy lady. See her arm. Wonderful to relate, tell. Wendy had raised her arm. Nibs bent over and whispered lovingly. I think, she said, portals, he whispered. She lives, Peter said briefly. Slightly cried instantly. The Wendy lady lives. Then Peter knelt beside her and found his button. You remember, she had put it on a chain she wore round his, her neck. See, he said, the arrow struck against it. It is a kiss I gave her. It was. It has saved her life. I remember kisses slightly reposed quickly. Let me see. Ah, it's a kiss. Peter did not hear him. He was begging Wendy to get better quickly so that he could show her to the, the mermaids. Of course, she would not answer yet, being still in a frightful fate. For overhead came a whirling note. This entertains, said Curly. She's crying because that Wendy lives. Then they had to tell Peter Tink's crime, and almost never had they seen him look so stern. Listen, Tinky Bell, he cried. I'm your friend no more. Be gone with me forever. He flew to on to his shoulder and pleaded. We brushed her off. Not until Wendy again raised her hand to her. You relent significantly to say, well, not forever, but for a whole week. But do you think Tinkerbell was grateful for Wendy, a raising arm? Oh, dear, no. Never wanted to pinch her so much. Fairies, indeed, are strange, and beaters understood them best. Often cuffed, slapped them. But what to do with Wendy, the present delicate state of health? Let us carry down, her down to the house, Curly suggested. Ah, says slightly. What if there is one? Is that what one does with ladies? No, no, Peter said. You must not touch her. It would be not be significantly respectful. That, said slightly, is what I was thinking. But if she lies there, Tortoise said, she will die. Aye, she will die, slightly admitted. But there is no way out. Yes, there is, cried Peter. Let us build a little house around her. They were all delighted. Quick, he ordered him then. Bring me each of you the best we we have. Got your house. Be sharp. In a moment there was a busy tailor's. A night before a wedding, they scurried this way and that, and down for bedding, up for firewood. And while they were at it, who should appear but John and Michael? As they dragged along the ground, they fell asleep standing. Stop. Woke up. Moved another step and slept again. John, John, John. Michael would cry. Wake up. Where's Nana? John and mother. When John would. John would rub his eyes and mutter, It's true we did fly. You may be sure they were very relieved to find Peter. Hello, Peter, they said. Hello, replied Peter, amicably, though he had quite forgotten them. He was very busy at the moment, measuring Wendy with his, with his feet to see how large a house she would need. Of course, he meant to leave room for chairs and a table. John and Michael watched him. Is Wendy asleep? they asked. Yes. John, Michael proposed, let us wake her and get her to make supper for us. But as he said it, some of the other boys rushed on carrying branches from the house. Good into the house. Look at him, he cried. Curly, 
said Peter in his most captive voice. See, what those boys help in the building of the house? Aye, aye, sir. Build the house, exclaimed John. Put a Wendy, said Curly. Put a Wendy, John said to Gars. Why, she's only a girl. That, exclaimed Curly, is why we are her servants. You? Wendy's servants? Yes, Peter said. And also, and you also. Away with them. The Scottish brothers were dragged away to hack and hew and carry chairs and fender. Fireplace first, Peter ordered. Then we shall build a house around them. Aye, he said slightly. And how is this house? That is how a house is built. It all comes back to me. Peter thought of everything. Slightly, he said. Quite fetch a doctor. Aye, aye, he said slightly at once. Disappeared, scratching his head. But he knew Peter must be obeyed and returned in the boat, wearing John's hat and looking solemn. Please, sir, said Peter, going to him. Are you a doctor? The difference between him and the other boys at such time was that they knew he was make-believe, while him, make-believe and true, was exactly the same thing. This sometimes bothered, troubled them, as they had to make-believe they, they had their dinners. If they broke down in their make-believe, he'd rap them on the knuckles. Yes, my little man, slightly anxiously replied, chap knuckles please sir peter explained a lady lies it very ill she was lying at their feet but slightly had not sense but had the sense not to see her tut 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 he said why does she lie in yonder glade i'll put a glass thing on her mouth said slightly he made believe to do it while peter waited his anxious moment when the glass thing was withdrawn how is she inquired peter tut 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 said slightly said slightly this has cured her i am glad peter cried i'll call again in the evening climate slightly said give her beef tea out of a cup with spout on it but after he returned the hat to john he blew big breaths which was his habit of escaping from a difficulty in the meantime the wood had been alive with the sound of axes almost everything needed for a cosy dwelling already lay at Wendy's feet. If only one knew, he said one, the kind of houses she liked best. Peter, shouted another, she is moving in her sleep. Her mouth opens, cried a third, looking respectfully into it. Oh, lovely, perhaps she's going to sing in her sleep, said Peter. Wendy, sing the kind of house you would like to have. Immediately, without opening her eyes, Wendy began to sing. I wish I had a little pretty house. The little is ever seen. Here, funny little red walls and roof of mossy green. They grundled with joy at this. By the greatest luck, the branches they brought were sticky. The red sap all the ground was carpeted with moss. They rattled up the little house. They broke in the song themselves. We built the little house, built the little walls and roof, and made a lovely door to tell us when the Wendy. What are you wanting more? To this she replied, unjudgedly, Oh, really, next I thought to have gay windows all about, with rose peeping in, you know, a baby peeping out. With a blow of their fists they made the windows, and large yellow leaves were the blinds, but roses? Roses, cried to me to study, quickly to make believe to grow. I love his roses up the walls. Babies, went Peter, ordering babies. They hurried into song again. 
We made the roses, a berry been out, a baby's at the door. We cannot make them ourselves, you know, because they've been, been never, we've been made before. Peter's seen this as a good idea. One pretended it was his own. House is quite beautiful. I don't doubt Wendy was very cosy in it, though. Of course, they no, could no longer see her. Peter strode up and down, ordering finishing touches. Nothing escaped his eagle eyes, just when it seemed absolutely finished. There's no knocker on the door, he said. It's a very shame, but Tootles gave the soul of his shoe and it made an excellent knocker. Right, absolutely finished now, they thought. Not a bit of it. There's no chimney, Peter said. You must have a chimney. It certainly does need a chimney, said Peter importantly. This gave Peter an idea. He snatched the hat of John's hat head, not out the bottom top, and put on the t- hat on the roof. The house was so pleased to have such a capital chimney. They say thank you. Smoke immediately began to come out of the hat. Now really and truly it was finished. Nothing remained but to knock. Oh, you knew. Oh, look your best, Peter warned them. First impressions are awfully important. He glad to that no one asked him what his first impressions are. They were too busy looking their best. He knocked politely, and now the wood was still as a children. Not a sound to be heard except from Tinkerbell, who was watching from a branch and openly sneering. When what the boys were wondering was, would anyone answer the knock? If if a lady would like like if a lady, what would she be like? The door opened. A lady came out. It was Wendy. He whipped off the hat. She looked properly surprised. Just how he hoped she might look. Where am I? She said. Of course, slightly. Was the first to put his word in. When did the lady? She, he said rapidly. Well, for you we built this house. Oh, say you please! Cried Nibs. Lovely darling house. When he said, and they were the words they had hoped you'd say. And we are your children. Cried the twins. They all went on their knees and, holding out their arms, cried, "Oh, Wendy, lady, be our mother." Ought I? When he said all shining, of course it's partly fascinating. But you see, I'm only a little girl. I have no real experience. It does not matter, said Peter, as he went, if he were the only person present who knew about it. Though he is really the one who knew least. What we need is just a nice, mumbly person. It is, it is, all they cried. We saw it at once. Very well, she said. I'll do my best. Come inside at once, your nursery children. I'm sure your feet are damp. And before I put you to put you to bed, I've just to finish this time to finish the story, Cinderella. He went uh, in. They went. I don't know how there was room for them, but you can squeeze very tight in Neverland. And that was the first of many joyous evenings they had with Wendy. By and by, she tucked them in the great bed in the house under the trees, but put herself. She herself slept the night in the little house, and Peter kept watch outside with drawn sword. The barrets could be heard consoling far away in the wolf's wall now. The little house looked so cosy and safe in the darkness with bright light showing through its blinds and the chimney smoking beautifully, and Peter standing on guard. After time he fell asleep, and some unsteady fairies had to climb over him, on their way home from Olgy. Any of the other boys obscuring the fairy path at night, they would they would have mischief, but 
They just, they just tweaked Peter's nose and passed on. Chapter seven: The house under the, the home under the ground. One of the first things Peter did next day was to measure Wendy and John and Michael for hollow trees. Hook, you remember, had sneered at the boys for thinking they needed a tree apiece. That was ignorance, for unless your tree fitted you, it was difficult to go up and down, and no two of the boys were quite the same size. Once you were fitted, you drew in, let out your breath at one top, and down you went to exactly the right speed. While the sand you drew in and out, etc., and so wiggled up. Of course, when you master the action, you are able to do these things without thinking of them, and nothing could be more graceful. But you simply must fit, and Peter measures you for your tree as carefully as for a suit of clothes. The only difference being the clothes are made to fit you, while when you, while you have to be made to fit the tree, usually it's done quite easily, as by your wearing too many garments or too few. But if you're bumpy or good places, or the only available trees are not shape, Peter does some things to you, and after that, after that you fit. Once you fit, great care must be given, taken to go on fitting. And this is that as Wendy was to discover her delight, keeping the whole family in perfect condition. Wendy and Michael fitted their trees at first, but John had to be altered a little. After a few days' practice, they grew up. They could go up and down as gaily as buckets as well. Now, apparently, ardently, they grew, grew to love near the home underground, especially Wendy. It consisted of one large room, as all houses should do, with a house in which they, you could dig for worms if you wanted to go fishing. And this floor grew stout mushrooms of a charming colour, which were used as stalls. And never, never tree tried hard to grow in the centre of the room. Every morning they saw the trunk through, level with the floor. By tea time, it was almost about two feet high. They put uh, put the door on top of it, hole and hole, thus becoming a table. As soon as they cleared away, they sawed off the trunk again, thus there was more room to play. This was an enormous fireplace, which is almost any part which is almost any part of the room where you care to light it. Across this Wendy stretched strings made of fibre, from which she was suspended and washing. A bed was tilted against the wall by day and let down at 6.30, when it filled nearly half the room. All the boys slept in it, except Michael, lying like sardines in the tin. There was a strict rule against turning around, till one gave the signal. When they all turned at once, Michael should have used it also, but Wendy would have desired a baby, and he was a little one, and you know what women are. The short and long of it that is that he had, was hung up in a basket. It is rough and simple, and unlike the, what baby bears would have made of an underground house in the same circumstances, but there was one recess in the wall, no longer larger than a birdcage, 
which was a private apartment of Tinkerbell. It would be shut off from the rest of the house by a thin, tiny curtain, which Tink, the almost fastidious particular, almost kept drawn when dressing or undressing. No woman, however large, could have been more acquisitive of the ball dressing room and bedchamber combined. The couch, as she always called it, was genuine Queen Mabe, with club legs, and she varied the bedspreads according to what fruit blossom was in the season. Her mirror was a puss in boots, of which there were many, oh, now only three, unchipped, known to fairy de- dealers. The wish stand was pie-crust and reversal. The chest of drawers, an authentic charming the sixth, and the carpet in the rugs, the best, the early Peter Mercury in Robin. There was a chandelier for Tinderwinks, the look of things, but of course, still she lit the residence herself. Tink was very contemporous for the rest of the house, as indeed it was perhaps inevitable. Her chamber, though beautiful, looked rather conceited, having the appearance of a nose permanently turned up. I suppose as all essentially entering to Wendy, because those ravaging boys of hers gave her so much to do. Really, there were whole weeks when set perhaps with a stocking in the evening. She never above ground. But cooking, I can tell you, kept her nose to the pot, even if there was nothing in it. Even if there was no pot, she kept watching. It came a boil, just the same. You never actually knew whether there would be a real meal or just make-believe, all depending upon Peter's whim. He should, he could eat rather, re, re, could really eat, really eat, he part of the game, but he could not stodge, cram down the food, just as Phil stodgy, stuffed with food, which is what most children like better than anything else. The next best thing being to talk about it, make-believe was so real to him, a dream meal, it was, could see him getting round her. Of course he was trying. You simply had to follow his lead. If you could prove to him you were getting lost loose your tree to let him let you stodge. Wendy's first favourite time of sewing and darning was after they had all gone to bed. Then she expressed it she had a breathing time for herself and she occupied it in making many new things for them, of putting putting new bed double pieces on the knees, for they were almost frightfully hard on their knees. When she sat down at the basket of their stockings, every heel the hole in it, she would fling her arms and exclaim, Oh dear, I'm sure I sometimes think Spencer's are to be envied. Her face beamed when she exclaimed this. You remember that about the pet wolf? Well, you very soon discovered that she had come to the island and found her out, and they just, they just ran into each other's arms. Of that, he followed her where, about everywhere. As time wore on, did she think much about the beloved parents she had left behind her? This was a difficult question because it's quite impossible to say how many how time does wear on in Neverland, where it's calculated by moons and suns. There's every so more, many more of them than on the mainland. But I'm afraid that Wendy did not really worry about her mother and father. She's absolutely confident they would always keep the window open for her to fly back and give her complete ease of mind. What did disturb her at times was that John remembered his parents vaguely. 
Only his people at once. He once knew. No. Well, Michael was quite willing to believe that she was really his mother. The other thing scared her a little bit, notably anxious to do her duty. She tried to fix their old life in, um, on their minds by setting them examination papers on it, as light, light as possible, the ones she used to do at school. The other boys thought this awfully interesting. Instead of joining, they made slates for themselves and sat around the table, biting and thinking hard about the questions she'd written on another slate and passing it around. They had the most ordinary questions. What was the colour of mother's eye? What which was taller? Mother or mother? Who was mother blonde? Was mother blonde or brunette? Answer three questions if possible. I write an essay with more than not less than forty words on how I spent my last holidays, or the characters of father and mother compared. Only one of these to be attempted. Or one describe mother's laugh, two describe father's laugh, three describe mother's posture, four describe the kennel and its inmate. There are everyday questions like these when you'll not answer them. We're told to make a cross. It was eventually it was really dreadful that a number of crosses ever even John made. Of course the only boy who replied to each question was slightly, and no one had ever been more hopeful of coming out first, but his answers were perfectly ridiculous. He really came out last. A melancholy thing. Peter did not complete. For one thing he despised, all mothers except Wendy, for, for another he was the only boy in the island who would ne- never write or spell, not the smallest word. He was, after all, up, he was above that sort of thing. By the way, the questions were all written in past tense. What was the colour of mother's eyes and so on? Wendy, you see, had been forgetting too. Adventures, of course, as we shall see, were of daily occurrence, but with about this Peter invented with Wendy's help a new game that fascinated him enormously till suddenly he had no more interest in it which as they're being told has always happened to with his games is considered pretending not to have adventures in doing the sort of thing John and Michael had been doing all their lives sitting on stalls flinging balls in the air pushing each other going out for walks and coming back without having killed so much as Grizzly to see Peter doing nothing on the stall was a slight, great sight. He would not help looking at Solomon at such times to sit still, seemed to him such a comic thing to do. He boasted he had gone walking for good of his health. For several stuns, their most novel ventures to him. Now John and Michael had to pretend to be delighted also, otherwise he would treat them severely. He often went out alone, and when he came back, you were they were you were never absolutely certain whether he had an adventure or not. He might have forgotten it so completely he said nothing about it. Then you went about your found a body, and on the other hand, he might say a great deal about it, and yet you could not find the body. Sometimes he came home with his hand bandaged, when he cooed him and bathed in it in lukewarm water while he took a dozen told a dazzling tale but she was never quite sure you know there was however many ventures which she knew to be true besides she because she was in them herself there'd be more still 
that they were at least partly true, but the other boys were in them, and said they were wholly true. Describing all were quite a book, as large as the English Latin Latin English dictionary, and must and the most we could do to give one as a specimen an average hour on the island. Dirty in which one to choose. Should we take the brush out with the redskins? Slightly grouch. It was so gory, cheerful, fair, but it's interesting as showing one of Peter's peculiarities, which was that in the middle of the fight he would suddenly change sides at a glitch when he was still in the balance, and sometimes learning that his way. Sometimes he would call out, I'm Redskin today. What are you, Turtles? The Turtles answered, Redskin. What are you, Nibs? The Nibs would say, Redskin. What about you, Turtles? And so on. They were all Redskins, of course. This would have ended the fight, and not, not the real Redskin. Fasc- had not the real Redskin, fascinated by Peter's methods, agreed to be Lost Boys for that once. And so they went, uh, went again, more fiercely than ever. The strongly upshot of this adventure was that, but we of this adventure was, but we have not decided yet. This is the adventure we are to narrate. Perhaps a better one would be the night attack by the nose skins of the house on the ground, where several of them stuck in the hollow trees, had to be pulled out like corks. Oh, might we tell how Peter saved Tiger Lily's life in the mermaids? The goon made her look, made him her his ally. Ally. Oh, shall we tell the cake, the pirates, the cooks, so the boys might eat it, perish, and how they placed it in one cunning spot of number? Yet, always, when they snatched it from the hands of the children, so that in time it lost its recirculance and came as hard as stone, it used as a missile, and hook fell over it in the dark. Of course, oh, I suppose we tell the birds that were Peter's friends, particularly the never bird that built in free of hanging the goon, how the nest fell into the water, and still the birds sat on their eggs, and Peter gave orders that she was not to be deserved. This is a pretty story, and then shows how grateful a bird can be. But we should tell it, we must also tell the whole adventure of the goon, which would, of course, be telling two adventures rather than one as one. A short adventure, quite as exciting. Well, Tinkerbell's attempt would help some fairy, street fairies, to have a sleeping Wendy conveyed on a great floating leaf to the mainland. Unfortunately, the leaf gave way. Wendy woke, thinking it was wild time, swam back. Oh, again, we might choose Peter's defiance on the lines when he drew a castle circle round him the ground with an arrow and dared him to cross it though he waited he roused with the other boys Wendy looking on breathlessly from the trees not one of them dared to accept his challenge which of these adventures shall we choose best way would be tossed for it I have tossed and boon at one this must also make one which stack the goats or cakes tinks leaves at one of course, I could do it again, make it better, better free, perhaps the fairies to stick to the lagoon.